This podcast is a recording of one of our webinars. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this IT governance uh, webinar. I'm Alan Calder. I'm your uh, presenter. I'll be with you for the next 45 minutes or so, an hour if we need it, but I'm hoping uh, for your sake that that'll be the maximum. I'm going to spend 35, 40 minutes talking through a set of slides around GDPR. You'll find that you have uh, questions. Please feel free to use the uh, question function here in um, the uh, GoToMeeting uh, software. Type your question in. What we'll do when we get to Q&A is that I'll go through all of the questions, read them out, and then share with you uh, my answers. Many people come to this webinar because they've uh, just come across GDPR and wonder if it's something that um, they have to uh, deal with. Um, they uh, recognize that it's an issue which uh, affects their organization or might affect other people inside their organization and want to have a good idea of the extent to which uh, they have to comply with it. And this webinar really looks at the basics of GDPR compliance and looks at the key areas that uh, all organizations need to think about when uh, considering how you go about meeting the uh, requirements of GDPR. As I said, I'm Alan Calder. Uh, my background is in data protection, uh, cybersecurity, and that whole field. I was first involved in this field back in the late 1990s when a company that I ran was the first company to be certified to what's now called uh, ISO 27001, the International Information Security Standard, because as a non-technologist, non-lawyer, I was back then looking for a way in which, as an organization, we could set ourselves apart from competitors in terms terms of how we dealt with the information of our customers. And that gave rise to a book, which gave rise to other books, which gave rise to this company, um, and over time has given rise to a business in IT Governance Limited, which is really a one-stop shop for everything that organizations need in tackling governance, risk management, and compliance. And uh, data protection, data security, cybersecurity, those are the uh, core areas in our business. And we help organizations tackle them through a range of products and services from books and document template toolkits through uh, training courses, classroom training courses, uh, and consultancy to software and a range of other uh, possible interventions. Our core approach is to try and make sure that whatever we're doing fits with what clients need. And we're going to be talking today uh, We'll have a brief overview of the regulatory landscape where data is concerned, personal data is concerned, the, a quick look at the key principles of the European Union's general data protection regulation. Uh, we'll then look uh, at rules and data subject rights, which are uh, very critical to understanding how the regulation fits together. Uh, the changes that the regulation brings into consent and what you have to do to lawfully have consent to process information. The liabilities on processes now clearly identified from those of data controllers. Uh, the role of the data protection officer international transfers of data and then the pan-European consistency mechanism which is designed to ensure that uh, we no longer have uh, different ways of tackling data protection in different parts of the European Union. 
Briefly, though, uh, worthwhile knowing the difference between the two main types of European Union law. Uh, The first is what's called a directive. A directive issued by the European Commission tells a member government what it must do to tackle an issue. Uh, It sets out a number of requirements, and it's then up to the uh, member states to pass a law which complies with the requirements of the directive. And the existing data protection legislation around the European Union is in response to a directive, the Data Protection Directive of 1995, um, sets out what organizations are supposed to do. Regulations, on the other hand, go into effect in all member states at the same time, exactly as written. Uh, There's no requirement for enabling or implementing regulations or laws in member states, and the only room for flexibility that states have is uh, over those areas which are identified in the regulation as being open to state interpretation. And GDPR, as the acronym indicates, is a regulation. Uh, That means it goes into force equally in all member states at exactly the same time. The model for data protection under uh, GDPR looks a bit like this. Um, It starts with data subjects on the the right-hand side. That's us individuals who might be uh, employees or customers, uh, and as customers we could be business or consumer customers. GDPR makes no differentiation between the types of uh, circumstance into which an individual finds himself or herself. And the data subject uh, is likely to provide personal information to a data controller. A controller is the organization which uh, determines what information will be collected, what it's to be used for, how long it's to be kept for, and so on. And the data subject has rights around that data, and in return, uh, the data controller has duties that it has to observe towards the data subject. If the data controller contracts with a third-party organization to process or store or do anything with that data, that third party is called a processor, and there are now going to be very clear laws in place as to how that relationship has to work. And at the heart of uh, those uh, rules is the requirement that information is processed securely by a processor in the same way as it might be by a controller. Third countries, uh, countries outside the European Union, give particular issues because from an EU perspective, data protection regime is not what uh, it could be in those countries, and so it's uh, more complex, complex to transfer data to those countries. In fact, without taking specific actions, it is illegal to transfer to third countries. We'll touch on that at the back end of this webinar. The regulation of the... Um, or at least implementation and enforcement of the regulation is in the hands of a national regulator, in the case of the United Kingdom, that's the existing information commissioner. Uh, She's the supervising authority and she has powers of uh, assessment and enforcement, and as you'll see, those particularly enforcement powers are now very significant. There are 28 different national uh, supervising authorities, so in order to ensure that they don't all head off down their own individual routes. The EU has put in place something called the European Data Protection Board, which is a consistency mechanism designed to ensure that uh, where there are variations in interpretation and understanding, those variations are ironed out and data is dealt with consistently. So the starting point for GDPR is what's called um, who is involved, what's the uh, scope, and the scope of GDPR is any natural persons, living uh, individuals. So by definition, somebody who's died has no rights under GDPR. Anybody who's alive has rights, and those rights are 
to do with the protection of their data, uh, the right to the protection of the systems in which their data is being processed, being protected, and to unrestricted movement of their data within the European Union. What data is in scope? GDPR talks about what it calls material scope, and material scope is any data that's being processed partly or wholly by automated means, so it's being processed in a computer system, that's automated means, or it's part of or meant to be part of a filing system, so collecting information to put into an Outlook file is a filing system. The only types of information which might not be uh, subject is information which you gather and you store loosely in a corner with no rhyme or reason to it. So paper uh, records, those are subject to GDPR, electronic records are subject to GDPR, anything which could be uh, part of a filing system. doesn't apply to data collected uh, entirely, wholly for personal use, so information about your friends, uh, information you might publish on Facebook, uh, that type of information insofar as you're the data controller is not subject to GDPR. One big change is that the regulation applies to any organization processing data inside the European Union. So if I'm an American company and I'm supplying services into the European Union, whether I'm charging for them or not, uh, then I have to comply with GDPR. Um, if uh, I could be a citizen of any country in the world and if I'm inside the European Union and somebody collects my data, I'm going to be protected by GDPR. So it applies to controllers both in the European Union and those not in the European Union and by definition it will apply to processes anywhere in the world. Natural persons have rights and the idea that natural persons have rights is at the heart of GDPR and its enforcement. Natural persons have the same rights wherever they are in the European Union and so the idea that there should be a level playing field for individuals is uh, fundamental to understanding how GDPR is intended to work. And therefore when individuals think their rights have been transgressed, they're entitled to bring an action and they can bring that action in the state where you're based as a data controller or in the state where uh, they live um, or in the state where they think that the breach occurred. It's up to them to decide where they want to breach, uh, bring a breach action. Um, and material or non-material damage could give rise to them deciding to bring an action. Bear in mind that there is no uh, ceiling to the um, compensation which they can get if they're successful in the action that they bring. And bear in mind that there are some 400 million people in the European Union. The possibility of somebody bringing an action because they're aggrieved or irritated uh, shouldn't be that far away from how most organizations think about uh, data protection in future. Alongside the rights of natural persons to bring uh, actions where they think their rights have been uh, abused are the powers <coughs> of supervising authorities. The supervising authorities can levy fines, uh, fines up to 20 million euros or 4% of last year's global turnover, whichever is the higher. Uh, the key words which occur in um, talking about the fines is that fines are meant to be, uh, of course, proportionate, but certainly effective and definitely dissuasive. Dissuasive uh, must mean that uh, the idea is to dissuade you and other organizations from doing the same thing. So that means fines are likely to be on the higher than the lower end uh, of the possible range. So potentially a significant uh, fine for a breach of GDPR combined with the possibility of individuals bringing actions because they think that their rights have been breached. 
In the old days, or what uh, in 16 months' time will be thought of as the old days, uh, as an organization, you could hope that no one would find out that there'd been a data breach. If you kept it quiet, you'd hope that you'd uh, get away with it, perhaps. In the uh, new world, the legal requirement is on all organizations to report personal data breaches as soon as they become aware of them uh, or within 72 hours. Uh, if it takes you longer than that to report it, you have to explain why it took longer than that uh, to report it. And All data breaches have to be reported. There isn't a, a way you can avoid reporting them to your regulator. And If you think about the fact that breaches are likely to have occurred because you're uh, security of data was inadequate and therefore it's possible that you were not in compliance with GDPR which requires you to protect information. Reporting a breach could be tantamount to inviting the regulator to levy an administrative fine. But you have no way around that. Not reporting a breach itself would be a breach. <coughs> Processes, if they are breached, are required to report to the controller with whom they're contracted uh, and to do so as fast as possible to enable the controller to meet their statutory obligation. And when you report the breach, uh, you have to explain uh, what happened, um, what you're going to do with it. Uh, you don't need to report to data subjects if there is uh, no likelihood of a high risk to the rights and freedoms of the natural persons. Um, so uh, if there is likely to be a risk, then you do need to tell the data subjects themselves that their data has been affected. GDPR applies uh, from the 25th of May 2018 in all member states of the European Union, and unless uh, the United Kingdom has left the European Union uh, fully and completely by the 25th of May 2018, it will by treaty apply in Britain as well. So Brexit has no bearing on the application of GDPR. The way the law works is that the law applies to all member states right up to the very last moment that they cease to be member states. If that weren't enough, uh, the Information Commissioner and the British Government have both positively affirmed that GDPR will comply, and the British Government has gone further than that and said that it will use GDPR compliance as a mechanism for ensuring that organizations take a much more determined approach to the application of cybersecurity through their business. So, it comes into force on the 25th of May 2018, and you want to think about what that means in terms of transition. Transition started on the 26th of May last year. The two-year transition period we're already in the middle of, or nearly in the middle of. You don't get to May next year and think, now we need to start preparing to comply. You have to be compliant by that date. So if you have a breach on the 30th of May, you've got to report to the Information Commission within 72 hours that you've been breached. Why have you been breached? What are you doing about it? And so on. So um, now is a really good time to begin thinking hard about what your compliance plan is. Of course, do read the regulation. It's available on the European Union. There's a link there to where it is on the EC website. It's available in all the official languages of the European Union. So what do we have to do? The starting point is the rights of data subjects at the heart of it, uh, and the rights of data subjects include the right to consent to what you're going to do with their information, to give you their information in the first place, the right of access to any information you have about them, the right to uh, rectifica rectification if you have errors or inaccuracies in what you do, the right to have information erased, what's sometimes called the right to be forgotten, uh, the right to restrict processing if there's a disagreement between you and as a data subject and the controller over whether you should have the information or not. They can say, fine, I exercise my right to stop you processing it while we argue 
review this out. And then, of course, the right to object to processing or anything you do with it. There's a right to data portability and the right to withdraw consent at any time. Consent has to be explicit, so you can't rely on uh, statements which go, uh, unless you uh, please untick this box if you don't want to receive stuff from us. If you don't untick the box, we'll continue to email you, or uh, we assume that you accept uh, that uh, if you don't respond to this email, we'll assume that you don't mind if we share your data with third parties. That will now uh, be illegal. Explicit consent is required. Explicit, positive, proactive consent. and. GDPR requires that it has to be as easy for a data subject to withdraw consent as it was to give consent. So think about what that means. If you give consent by allowing someone on a website to tick a box saying that uh, they can have your uh, the, the, the website can collect your information uh, and send you an email, then the data subject has to be able to go onto your website untick a box or tick another box as the case may be and say stop processing the data and you've got to stop. So the impact for systems could be quite significant. There's a right to lodge a complaint, the right to be informed of uh, the existence of automated decision-making, including profiling. Uh, all of those are rights. And the data controller is required under GDPR to make sure that any processing they do of a data subject's uh, data is done in accordance with those rights and that they tell the data subject very clearly what they're going to do with it. And so um, the requirement is it must be concise, transparent, intelligible, and easily accessible in clear and plain language. So your fair processing notice has to be something that is complete, which um, data subjects are able to access and understand, uh, and it must be something which they're then able to consent to. There are Six principles in GDPR, they're similar to uh, six of the eight principles in the current data protection directive. Uh, the six deals with the maintenance of security, but the first five deal with the idea that uh, data should be processed lawfully uh, and fairly, which means that you have to have consent. There are a number of other uh, aspects to it, but if you don't have proper consent to process data, you will be processing data uh, possibly illegally. The data you collect has to be for specific, explicit, and legitimate purposes, so uh, there must be a good business reason, charity, or other reason, but uh, that must be clear and in your fair processing notice. What you collect must be uh, both adequate but limited to what is necessary for the purpose. You can't collect more information because it might come in handy later on, um, and you can keep the information only for as long as necessary. Needless to say, while you've got it, you must keep it uh, up to date uh, unless the purpose for keeping it up to date is no longer there, in which case possibly the purpose for keeping it may no longer be there. Sitting across all of those principles is the uh, seventh principle, almost a principle of accountability, and the uh, GDPR says the controller is responsible for and must be able to demonstrate compliance with how it goes about uh, processing personal data, how it is, makes itself accountable for the processing of personal data. And what the Information Commissioner said in late January is a good example of what the regulators mean by accountability. In a speech to the uh, Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales on the 17th of January, the Information Commissioner says that the purpose of this uh, legislation is to 
uh, get organizations to move away from the idea of data protection as being about box ticking and start thinking about a culture of privacy that pervades an entire organization. GDPR, she says, mandates organizations to put into place comprehensive but proportionate governance measures. That means that the board needs to be paying attention. This is not something which simply the head of IT or somebody else has to deal with. Governance means board oversight. It means board awareness. Think of health and safety and the way in which health and safety is dealt with inside most organizations. And that gives you a parallel for how um, personal data, personally identifiable information should be approached. She says that GDPR means a change to the culture of an organization. Not easy to do, but accountability can't be bolted on. It needs to be part of the company's overall systems approach to how it processes and manages data. And applying that, as I said, starts with the idea that the board is accountable, so you need to think about which director uh, in the organization is going to have the overall accountability for uh, personally identifiable information, GDPR compliance. You need to think about an executive who has a working understanding of the requirements of uh, GDPR, a data protection officer who is fundamentally a practitioner. Um, uh, we'll look at the role of DPOs shortly. And you need to have a privacy compliance framework, something which ensures that uh, whether it's a PIMS, a personally, identif personal, personally identifier, personal information management system or an information security management system, a, a framework of documentation which ensures that uh, you have proper policies in place, you have uh, rules and processes for how information is collected and dealt with. All of that needs to be there. You also need to have an effective method of dealing with cyber incidents. Remember, you have to report within uh, 72 hours, so you need to know that you've had a breach. You need to have tested out how you're going to respond. Wait until you get there uh, is a bad idea. Test it beforehand. Information Commissioner suggests that cyber essentials is a minimum security standard, and for those of you who haven't come across it, uh, cyber essentials is a technical uh, security standard created by uh, the UK government. It looks at five basic controls to do with uh, patching, vulnerability testing, and so on. And you can get a certification that indicates that you've taken appropriate steps to put those controls in place. An accredited certification body for Cyber Essentials shouldn't charge you more than about 300 pounds if you're a small or medium business for, um, for a certification. So Cyber Essentials should be minimum allows for the possibility of other certifications and data seals. Data seals are, are possibly under development, but certainly uh, ISO 27001, that information security management standard that I mentioned earlier on, is the internationally recognized and the only internationally recognized standard for information security management that meets the requirements of GDPR in terms of uh, putting in place appropriate organizational and technical security measures. Accountability also means data protection by design and by default. Design means exactly that, designing into your processes data protection. So you need to think about doing a data inventory. What types of personal information have we got? What does the flow of data look like through the organization? Uh, who has access to data when? How do we need to protect the data? What permissions did we get from the data subject to do with the data, uh, what we're doing? And if the data is compromised, what's the impact on the data subject going to be? So data privacy impact assessments, which are mandatory for organizations processing large volumes of data and good practice for all other organizations, are a way of making sure that for a data flow, you've identified where a breach might be so that you can put in place appropriate controls.
So if you're processing information, personal information, lawfully, you've got consent from a data subject for specific purposes. Uh, there are some circumstances where consent is not required, and that's where there is a, uh, a legal obligation on the data controller to do something, or it's in the data subject's best interest. So, for instance, um, a, uh, somebody in, in an ambulance doesn't have to give consent to processing personal information about their blood type, for instance, or, uh, or anything else, because the overriding interest in the data subject's um, uh, health would give the ambulance service the right to collect that information and deal with it. But broadly speaking, data subject must give uh, explicit consent for specific purposes. That means the data subject is entitled to ask what information you've got, so um, you've got to respond to subject access requests. You used to have 40 days. That's now been reduced to one month. Assume that means one calendar month, and you can no longer make a charge for the subject access request. So logically, that means if somebody is looking for information uh, or they're looking to uh, put together a legal case, the subject access request might be the starting point uh, to collect the information they've got, see what you've done wrong, and out of that build a case. Controllers and processors are clearly distinguished. While a controller can also be a processor, um, processors can only operate under contract from a controller. That means there are clearly identified obligations on processors. Uh, if processors are operating outside of the terms of a contract, they will be in breach of GDPR, um, so it must be legally binding, and it's up to the data controller to ensure that they have an appropriate contract in place and that the processor they've selected is in fact capable of performing in line with requirements. Consent has to be clear and affirmative, and you must be able to demonstrate that you were given consent in a way that was uh, clear and affirmative. Uh, if it's uh, in writing, it needs to be clear, intelligent, clear and intelligible, the um, fair processing notice needs to be easily accessible. If it's not, then the consent that you think you've been given will not be uh, binding. There are special conditions that apply to children. Anyone under 16 cannot legally consent to processing personal information unless the country that, of which they, are, they or their parents are a citizen has taken advantage of the option in the uh, GDPR to set the age of consent anywhere lower than 16. The GDPR allows for that to be set between 13 and 16, but not below 13. And that means that any organization processing or likely to be processing uh, uh, information about children has to put itself into a position to establish whether or not the data subject is old enough to give consent, uh, and if the consent is being given by uh, an adult, that it's an appropriate and real adult able to give that uh, consent. You also have to get explicit consent for processing sensitive personal information. Uh, so if you're going to process information that's about race, gender, ethnic origin, um, uh, sexual orientation, political views, um, biometric data, genetic data, you need explicit, specific consent to process that data for specific, explicit purposes. Without that explicit consent, you can't say we're collecting a whole lot of personal information. Um, please consent to it if by a whole lot of personal information you also mean uh, some of that sense of information. You have to be explicit about what you want to collect and what you're going to do with it. Article 5, as you know, requires that all data you collect should be secured against accidental loss, destruction, or damage. 
GDPR says that your communications with data subjects must be transparent, so concise, intelligible, the subject access request, the way you respond to it must be clear to them, they must be able to understand uh, the information you've given them, uh, you must tell them about, about yourself, you must give them all the necessary information about you, contact information about you, uh, tell them what their rights are, uh, you can't you're not allowed to leave them to work it out for themselves. You have to say these are your rights. This is how you exercise your rights. Um, there are specific provisions which deal with data which don't come from the data subject. So, for instance, handed over by a third party, perhaps a, uh, a parent or a uh, list that's provided. Um, you have to explain where the data came from, who you are. Uh, you have to tell the data subject what their rights are in relation uh, to that data, and you have to enable them to exercise those rights. Article 25 and thereafter deal with the idea of privacy by design. As I said, um, privacy has to be built into data processing, and that means uh, in many organizations, data protection impact assessments uh, driven off of a data audits and data inventory, what information have we got, how are we holding it. And when you're doing the data audit, the questions you should be asking yourself is, what permission do we have this data? Are we holding the data in permission with the, in, in accordance with the permission we got? If not, should we be holding it? And for many organizations around the European Union, the sensible thing is going to be to make sure that you delete or destroy information which you don't need to have and which is now outside of a permission you have Otherwise, you should probably go back to the data subjects if you're holding information you don't have consent to and arrange to get consent for the data. GDPR makes no provision for data that you collected prior to the act coming into force. It says on this day, this is the rule, so you've got to think about how do you get between now and then to the point where the data you hold is in a way that meets the requirements of uh, GDPR. So what have you got? How do you get it into a fit state? I said earlier on that if you're outside the European Union, you need to comply with GDPR, but actually you need to do more than that. You need to demonstrate that you are committed to it, and that means that GDPR says you have to appoint a representative uh, who is based inside the European Union and who is more than just a uh, dead letter drop. It has to be a representative who is capable uh, of representing you, of dealing with subject access requests and legal activity uh, and so on. Having a representative, of course, won't absolve you from your duty to comply with GDPR. It's just part of how the organization ensures that, or GDPR ensures that as an organization, you've made um, data uh, access possible for data subjects. Sixth principle uh, deals with the requirement that uh, Information, personal information should be processed securely, uh, should be protected against uh, unauthorized processing and against accidental loss, destruction, or damage. That, mean, that applies to both data controllers and data processors. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to apply security perfectly. It means it has to be appropriate to the risk. And techniques like pseudonymization and encryption uh, should become uh, default uh, processes, so encrypting information in databases, uh, on mobile devices, thinking about encrypting information in email, those should become default technical measures to protect personal information. Worthwhile noting that if information is encrypted, the obligation to tell data subjects that their data has been accessed is uh, falls away. 
So uh, you need to have in place a method, not just an information security policy, but GDPR says you need to have a process for regularly testing, assessing, and evaluating how well your security measures work. So uh, you need to have uh, regular audits. You need to do penetration testing. Uh, you need to make sure that all of that testing itself complies with the requirements of privacy. So testers will have access to personal information. Uh, possibly you need to make sure that you minimize what they can see uh, and, uh, and protect information right the way through the cycle. Cyber Essentials and ISO 27001 are good ways of demonstrating to a regulator that you took appropriate steps to protect uh, the information of personal subjects. That privacy compliance framework that I mentioned is a way of linking the uh, governance requirement, the top-level board involvement through a framework of policies and procedures that reflect the six privacy principles into a suite of documentation that ensures across the organization that uh, privacy is dealt with appropriately. And bear in mind that documentation itself should be appropriate to the organization size. So larger organizations will have larger a uh, range of documentation that's more sophisticated and more complete. Smaller organizations like to have very much um, smaller quantities of data. Article 33 then deals with the mandatory deep breach reporting that I mentioned earlier on, the requirements to uh, report a data breach, anything which leads to the compromise of the confidentiality, integrity, or availability of personal information. And bear in mind, that can include an accidental deletion of a record or folder. Uh, it can include um, a, an accidental release of information into the wild. Accidents count just as much as do uh, deliberate breaches. You've got to report that within 72 hours and contact data subjects without undue delay unless you've already got in place appropriate protections which uh, ensure that the data subjects are not going to be hurt. Any failure to report within 72 hours itself must be explained, um, so you probably don't want to be doing that. In a number of situations, having a data protection officer is mandatory. That's particularly the case where you're processing substantial volumes of personally identifiable information or for uh, public bodies. Uh, most organizations, though, uh, should think about having a data protection officer as simply as a good practice in the same way as you have a health and safety officer, as you have an HR uh, executive or manager, somebody who understands the range of law, but particularly who understands how to practice it. And practicing data protection uh, is a uh, reflection of the requirement for data protection by design and by default. A data protection officer is a um, separate role, it's a privileged role that should be reporting directly to uh, senior management or the board. It should be appropriately qualified, which means awareness of the law, um, understanding of the key requirements, above all an understanding of the practitioner um, activity, so a, a GDPR practitioner qualification uh, such as the um, ISO 17024 certified one is one example of an appropriate practitioner level appointment. A number of people inside the organization will need to have awareness of data protection. Uh, could include people in the marketing team, obviously the HR team. Uh, this could be software development, process development, anywhere where you're dealing with personal data. And probably across the whole of the organization, staff will need to have a general awareness of their obligations around personally identifiable information. So data protection officer, um, separate reporting line, typically not part of IT, uh, more likely to be part of a compliance team or in a smaller organization, uh, maybe a standalone role reporting to uh, management. 
GDPR explicitly says in order to demonstrate that you've taken steps to meet your obligations, you can um, comply with international standards or regulations, sets out rules for how those should be drawn up um, and what types of certifications are acceptable. They have to be uh, independently created with independent certification bodies who don't offer you uh, consultancy. Um, uh, ISO 27001 is a good example of exactly that, uh, and an ISO 27001 certificate would be a way of demonstrating that as an organization, you've identified the information assets you hold, personally identifiable information, you've uh, looked at the data flows, you've assessed what the risks are to that data, and you've selected and put in place controls which uh, are appropriate to the risk to the data um, to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the information. Of course, certification doesn't mean that you comply, but it's a way of demonstrating that you have made uh, good effort or appropriate efforts to comply, and therefore likely to keep uh, any administrative fines well down. International transfers, the GDPR, uh, just like the Data Protection Directive, forbids the transfer of personal information outside of the European economic area unless certain conditions have been met. Uh, the conditions are what are usually known as adequacy. Uh, does the country have a data protection regime which is adequate? Uh, the United States, for instance, does not. It does not because it doesn't have a natural, doesn't have a national uh, or a federal data protection law. That's one of the first requirements. Uh, you can, however, export information to the United States if the receiving organization is registered under what's called the EU US Privacy Shield. It's a way in which you, a US organization can register with the Federal Trade Commission uh, and say, we do comply with GDPR, you can audit us, uh, and here is a binding way in which data subjects can have their data protected in line with the requirements of the Data Protection Directive. That privacy shield will have to be modified to meet the requirements of GDPR, but it's currently the way in which uh, United States organizations demonstrate that they meet the uh, adequacy requirements. Inside an international company, you can transfer data to subsidiaries elsewhere in the world subject to what are called binding corporate rules, uh, which enable the um, parent company to enforce the way data protection is dealt with on subsidiaries. Uh, and uh, amongst third-party organizations, uh, again, it's possible to transfer data to uh, organizations and countries that don't meet the adequacy test uh, if you have in place appropriate uh, standard contract clauses which include uh, the ability of the data controller to enforce effectively the rights of the data subject on the uh, on the processor. The safe harbor regulation in the United States has gone through a set of changes, which is what's led to the arrival of the privacy shield. It's possible the privacy shield will be uh, itself attacked. Some of the activity of the um, incoming executive in the United States leads some campaigners in the European Union to think that the privacy of their personal data might be threatened, and that could lead to uh, a legal assault on GDPR. And of course, it's worth bearing in mind, it's not GDPR on the safe, on the safe harbor um, privacy shield, and it's worth bearing in mind that because GDPR is a law, uh, it will be something which lawyers spend time arguing over particular aspects of for some time to come. The final arbiter of what a particular phrase means uh, is not what I say or a lawyer or anybody else says. It's likely to, in the end, uh, come down to a legal decision. 
uh, and there will be a body of case law build up over the next uh, number of years. A number of those cases, I suspect, will be the result, finally, of appeals to the European Court of Justice. The requirement is on uh, member states to create supervisory authorities, uh, to resource them appropriately, to give them enough money and resources to uh, ensure the GDPR is properly understood in the country, that uh, awareness is promoted, and to enforce it, to uh, investigate, correct, and advise people who are in breach, to issue uh, regulatory fines, as you've seen, those can be up to uh, quite a substantial number, 20 million euros, or 4% of global turnover. Where organizations operate across uh, a number of states, GDPR removes the need for you to deal with a multiple set of supervisory authorities. You can select a lead regulator, a lead supervisory authority, and deal with them in respect of your processing uh, across the whole of the European Union. So as you can see, uh, the idea of GDPR being something which brings in a level playing field for data subjects uh, also brings in the idea of a level playing field for data controllers, that irrespective of whether as a data controller is a business dealing in Britain, France, Holland, Germany, uh, you should be able to process data in exactly the same way. Another organization in a different jurisdiction within the European Union shouldn't be able to require greater or lesser controls than you. As I said earlier, sitting across all the top of that is the consistency mechanism, the European Data Protection Board. It's not a super regulator, it's a consistency tool, so uh, it's formed out of the working party group that uh, has worked for the last three or four years on creating GDPR, uh, and it's there to ensure that where there are variations in interpretation of uh, particular phrases, then the, there is a binding uh, decision adopted, which is then applied uniformly by all the regulators. So should ensure that there is a consistent method of dealing with the regulation. It's a first port of call for um, disputes involving regulators, um, and uh, we hope to see it effective in that kind of role. Let me wrap up with the final words that the Information Commissioner had to say back on the uh, 17th of January. She said, yes, it's true, Account accountability, the idea of accountability encourages an upfront investment in how you do privacy inside the organization. But down the line, it offers a payoff, not just in better legal compliance, but also in competitive edge. The organizations who are ahead in terms of protecting the information of data subjects should have a competitive edge, not just because they're not finding themselves subject to prosecution, but also because they find that they have uh, more customers coming to them. They're able to deal more effectively, uh, more smoothly with, uh, with their customers. So, of course, um, if you don't want to do that, we've got a pretty big stick. Uh, she makes the point the Information Commissioner is used to levying fines, and if you want to get an idea of the kinds of fines that she's levied, bearing in mind that her powers are fairly limited at the moment, have a look at the uh, section on the UK Information Commissioner's website that sets out fines. You'll see that many small organizations are fined £5,000 or £10,000 for what you might think of as relatively small breaches, and organizations who lose a laptop that's not encrypted or um, who uh, lose a small database are subject to much more substantial fines, and you'll get an idea of the size of damage that could happen as an organization if you don't get it right. No, she says, we don't want to use those sticks, but if we have to, uh, we'll have to. These are not just for typical breaches, she says. The 
GDPR gives us the power to enforce uh, in context of accountability. So we can look at the fact that actually you didn't build data protection into the organization. You just try to get away with a tick box approach and we're allowed to fine you on the basis that you simply didn't approach data protection as the cornerstone of how you deal with personal information. So she's saying don't leave yourself open to a fine or other enforcement action. It'll damage the business. It'll cost you money. It'll damage your reputation. She's really saying focus on the business of getting ahead of competitors by making data protection by design and by default fundamental to how the organization operates. We really see nine steps to compliance for an organization. Uh, the first is to establish a governance framework, board awareness, put GDPR on the risk register, have an accountability framework, who's responsible for what, take that down through the organization. Appoint and train uh, a data protection officer or a senior data protection officer, whatever is appropriate, but somebody at the executive level who's going to be the practitioner lead for data protection inside the organization. Then do a data inventory. What personal data are you holding? Uh, where did you collect it from? What permissions do you have for it? Uh, what are you holding unlawfully? What information has been passed on to third parties? What permissions do they have? Find out all of those, uh, those gaps. Do a data flow audit. Look at how the data you've gathered flows through the organization and the different um, places in which it might be vulnerable to attack or loss or any other compromise. On the basis of that, you can do a gap analysis. I'd suggest you look very strongly at the fair processing notice and your subject access request documents as those are going to be the uh, first key points that data subjects encounter your organization. They'll look on a website or when joining the organization, the fair processing notice, they'll think of as setting the tone for your interaction when they ask for information, how effectively the subject access request works. We'll give them a sense of how uh, how you built data protection by design into the organization. So make sure that those are working. Make sure that your processes around data processing are robust and legal. Have contracts with your data processes if you have any. Do a privacy impact assessment and look at security gaps. Select controls to uh, limit uh, access to information for those who don't need to access it, improve protection to confidentiality and integrity, uh, make sure that those who do need information can access it, and then remediate. Look at all of the gaps that you've identified, uh, take remediation action, put a privacy compliance framework in place, look at implementing cyber essentials, the uh, 10 steps to cybersecurity, which uh, larger organizations might already have in place. And of course, ISO 27001 is being, uh, really should be the baseline for demonstrating appropriate administrative and technical measures for security. Data breach response is step nine. Make sure that if and when you're breached, and uh, for all organizations, it's much more likely to be when than if, that you are able to respond. You don't have to work out what your response should be after you've been breached. I have a method for breaches to be reported, to be collected. Accountability is clearly defined. Uh, know who you have to report to, what information you have to get. Put yourself in a position to be able to report a breach well within the 72 hours, because uh, again, that's where demonstrating that you've taken proper steps to meet your obligations. And then finally, 
monitor, audit, and continually improve. Whatever you put in place in the first instance won't be perfect, but it will, with a bit of luck, be adequate. Monitor how well it works, improve it, look for ways of making it work better. And over time, your privacy impact, uh, your privacy, your private, your privacy information management system will become more and more uh, effective in terms of helping the organisation uh, meet its objectives. Bear in mind, it's the um, 14th of February now. You've only got until the 25th of May next year to get compliant. If you've got a large organization, you may have to tackle a number of these things in parallel. Uh, you want to have got to the point where your processes are tested and working uh, by this kind of time next year. You don't really want to be scrambling to try and get yourself sorted by May because you never know which organization is going to be the first to be breached on the 26th of May um, and then the uh, therefore the poster boy for um, for a regulator somewhere in the European Union. Of course, in IT governance we can help. We have uh, internationally accredited foundation and practitioner courses that enable people to understand broadly how GDPR works and should be applied. Uh, we've got practitioner courses designed for people who are going to be uh, data protection officers, uh, there is lots of written stuff, pocket guides, there's a compliance and implementation manual, there's a suite of documentation toolkit that meets all the broad requirements for a privacy impact management system and for those who need uh, practical intervention we have a substantial range of consultancy support service starting with uh, gap analysis going through data flow audits, uh, notification support, uh, implementing, designing and implementing management systems and continuing to look after them, cyber health checks, so a very comprehensive range as you would expect from an organization which specializes in uh, the broad range of GRC requirements. That ladies and gentlemen brings me to the end of what I'd prepared to say so I'm going to stop, draw breath for a minute, and then I'm going to start working my way through the um, uh, through the various questions themselves. Uh, and I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm simply going to read out the uh, the questions, and I'm going to share with you the question, and obviously I'm going to share with you the uh, the answer. So. Uh, I can tell you that between now and when we're aiming to finish, which is 4 o'clock, I'm not going to be able to get through all of them. General question, um, these slides are available. You can click on them. They're on the link uh, there in PDF format. I believe they'll go out after the uh, show as well. Um, how will these regulations affect DBS checks on individuals? Um, you'll need to uh, get permission. To do the DBS check, you'll need to explain what the purpose is. You're likely to be checking on uh, sensitive information. The organization that collects the information um, is uh, likely, depending on where the information comes from, if it's public information, it'll be able to gather it. But you'll have to have permission. Um, you'll have to store it in line with that permission uh, and protect it. Um, Article 33 of the GDPR says you have to report a breach unless the breach is unlikely to result in a risk to the rights and freedoms of natural persons. Um, so this exception really applies to uh, situations where the, uh, the breach, for instance, um, can't affect anybody because all of the data in your database is encrypted and so none of the information is accessible to the hacker. So because it's not accessible, uh, the rights and freedoms of the data subject are not affected. If that information, though, is destroyed, on the one 
one hand, um, the, the confidentiality and integrity is protected, but it's not available, and that might affect uh, the right to data portability. So it could be quite a complex um, uh, situation. Can an employee ask for access to confidential information about him, which is stored in the talent software? Uh, now, this info is only for HRIs. So there you go. Um, you can't collect information only for HRIs without the consent of the uh, data subject. Um, if what you've got is opinions that people have passed about the data subject, then that's information which relates to the data subject. And so that information, if somebody asks for information you're holding about him, uh, would fall broadly into the category of um, I'm entitled to see that. Uh, that means already most uh, HR organizations are fairly careful about what uh, comments and opinions they hold because they recognize there's a possibility of that information being collected in a uh, subject access request or in a legal discovery process and having to explain it. So, yes, they can ask for information uh, that you hold about them um, and they can discover in the process of doing that that you don't have um, uh, you don't have the consent to collect it or that you don't have a proper or legitimate purpose for collecting or processing that information. Any one of those things could come out through a data discovery process. An FPN is a fair processing notice and an SAR is a subject access request. Shorthand, fair processing notice is the thing which sets out to a data subject uh, what you're asking their permission to do and what they're going to consent to in which you tell them what their rights are. A subject access request is how a data subject says, this is who I am, this is how I identify myself, this is what I want to know about myself, and this is where you send the information about me uh, that you're holding. Does the publication of personal data that's required under another legislative requirement uh, still override the right to be forgotten? So the right to be forgotten is not an absolute right. Um, the right to be forgotten applies when there is no uh, obvious or legitimate reason why the uh, information or the data subject needs to be remembered. So, um, for instance, during the period of someone's bankruptcy, they wouldn't be entitled to say, I want to be forgotten because it's meant to be public that they're currently bankrupt. At the point they're discharged bankrupt, uh, they might very well have an argument that says, I'm discharged, it no longer applies, um, I want to exercise my right to be forgotten because people will use it in a prejudicial manner against me. So, um, no, it doesn't override the right to be forgotten, doesn't override the requirements of other uh, legal, um, uh, other laws and regulations. How will GDPR compliance be monitored by the ICO? Well, um, the reality, I think, in the short term is GDPR compliance will be monitored by responding to reported data breaches. Given that uh, you have to report a data breach within 72 hours, and given that most of the private sector currently doesn't report data breaches at all, even if it's aware of them, uh, it's likely that regulators will be overwhelmed with breach reporting over the first six to 12 months. They'll also be responding to um, data subjects who think that their rights have been transgressed and who will be exercising their newfound rights to bring a complaint to a regulator. So I suspect for the first six to 12 months, that's how regulators will enforce the uh, regulation by responding to stuff. They do have the power, and um, I would expect them to put in place mechanisms that enable them to go and visit and talk to sectors and organizations in sectors which they see as being uh, high risk. 
each regulator, I suspect, will have its own strategy, and we've not yet seen any clarity from regulators about how they'll do the proactive part uh, of their uh, obligations. But as I said, bear in mind the reactive bit is likely to consume a considerable amount of time, uh, and as a data controller or processor, you don't have that much um, control over whether you find yourself in trouble other than the steps you take to make sure that you uh, are compliant. Um, how would you ascertain the flow of data to third parties? I don't think a survey would necessarily suffice. Uh, you need to identify what data you have gathered. You need to identify um, uh, how it is being handed over. So a data flow audit would follow the steps in uh, the data flow, and you'd identify the fact that there are certain points at which data is handed over. Um, if you publish data um, on a website or some other public forum, then of course you can't identify who has access to that, but you need to make sure that you have a right to publish that information in a public forum. Assessing the gap with security measures is um, part of what GDPR recognizes is the state of the art. So you'd have a look at the data, you'd have a look at the threats and vulnerabilities to that data, you'd look at the security controls you have in place, and you'd assess whether or not the controls you have in place will uh, reduce the likelihood of the threat turning into a vulnerability. And there are risk assessment methodologies and risk assessment tools which are designed to help organizations do specifically that. If data needs to be destroyed because it's no longer required and it's in a digital format stored on a um, high-density disk, what's a suitable process? Well, that's in a sense still up to you, taking account of the state of the art and uh, available um, technology and what's appropriate. Uh, Degaussing is one way. The only certain way of destroying data on a disk is with a hammer um, or in a shredding machine that shreds the disk. Uh, you've got to think quite hard about um, the circumstances under which a disk might reappear. There are uh, a number of situations under which organizations have been fined because when they thought they had destroyed a disk with data on it, uh, they hadn't and the disk just turned up somewhere and the data was uh, mined by somebody. Um, ensuring the risk is a sensible thing to do, yes. Uh, bear in mind that when ensuring risks, you can only ensure against the, um, the practical consequences. You can't ensure against fines because it's illegal to do so. So while you might be able to ensure against the restitution cost, um, putting right what's gone wrong, uh, you might not be able to, you would not, not not, you won't be able to cover yourself against a fine. That's something that uh, you will have to meet. So if you're concerned about 4% of global regulatory turnover making a hole in your bottom line, then making sure the organization is compliant with GDPR is the sensible thing to do. Um, there are uh, data protection. Sorry, the question is, uh, is there anywhere that provides best practice templates like sign-up forms and so on? Um, again, uh, there is a GDPR documentation template toolkit. Uh, if you go onto our website and search for toolkits, you'll be able to find it. Uh, it has a wide range of appropriate um, uh, templates in it which uh, are established as being best practice ways of dealing with um, sign-ups, with fair processing, and a whole collection of the things which form part of a personal information management system. Uh, must fresh and explicit consent be obtained in respect of existing customers where the consent they originally signed is not now GDPR compliant? I, I think the simple answer to that is yes, because if you are holding data 
and by the time you get to uh, the 25th of May 2018, you don't have permission, uh, explicit consent to hold that data, you'll be breaking the law, it'll be uh, unlawful. Um, I would uh, suggest that you should talk to those data subjects and get explicit consent from them for the future processing. Of course, there are um, some circumstances where you might be able to avoid that, where, for instance, the processing is necessary for you to meet the uh, uh, meet your obligations under a contract. You might be able to demonstrate that you don't need further consent to uh, do that. Um, big companies in the U.S. are already saying a lot in order to appear compliant, uh, more than before, but still the feeling is there are only words and they're applying safe harbor privacy shield. Uh, yes, that's the current situation. All they have to do at the moment is comply with the Data Protection Directive, which means that if they're registered under the privacy shield, they will be compliant. The, uh, the change comes with GDPR when the privacy shield requirements are expected to shift to require U.S. companies to state they're compliant with GDPR, which should mean data privacy by default and by design. Uh, and uh, in any case, those companies will themselves be required to appoint representatives in the European Union. So GDPR compliance by the 25th of May 2018 should see a significant shift in U.S. companies from uh, looking as though they comply to actually complying. Uh, what qualifications would you suggest a DPO needs or should have? Is there a standard and recognized DPO qualification? Uh, GDPR simply says that, and Information Commissioner advice simply says, an awareness of the law um, and practical uh, knowledge and experience about how to implement it. Um, so in looking around, we would expect there to be a growing number of qualifications. Um, IT Governance launched the first. It's the only internationally accredited uh, GDPR practitioner qualification, um, uh, but it's a commercial decision, as with everything, as to what the most appropriate qualification is for an organization. If you look uh, at the back end, one of the slides just above that, you can see a link to the GDPR practitioner uh, course. What are the regulators specifically? I'm just going to answer another one or two questions and then we're going to close up. Um, we're past four. The regulators are the uh, supervising authority appointed in each member state. Uh, they're currently called in England the Information Commissioner, in Ireland also called the Information Commissioner. They have uh, different titles in different member states. There's usually uh, either only one or there is a leading uh, information commissioner, but they're in charge of ensuring compliance with the Data Protection Directive or Data Protection Act at the moment. And in most cases, I believe all, they'll become the regulators for the purpose of uh, GDPR. You'll be able to get um, who's paying for this. Are there grants or funding? Is this going to cost a hell of a lot to implement. Uh, did they think about this? Um, you have to pay for your own compliance is the answer. Um, yes, uh, it was recognized that compliance would cost money, but uh, it was also very clearly the view of the, uh, the lawmakers that many organizations took inadequate care about the protection of the data of data subjects of citizens and that um, if they wished to process data uh, carelessly, then, uh, then they needed to bear the penalty for it. So um, I think that's a very explicit and very clear decision taken that uh, you could either 
pay for compliance by doing it right or you could pay for compliance by being fined and then being forced to do it right uh, was an explicit and determined decision by the regulators. And I have to say the UK government has uh, endorsed that approach and said that um, it's going to make sure that GDPR compliance is treated as the method for driving general cybersecurity compliance across the United Kingdom as a whole. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us beyond the uh, maximum four o'clock point that we'd targeted to complete this webinar. The slides and I believe a recording uh, are available. Um, you'll be able to, uh, down, I think you can download the slides right now if you haven't already done so from shooting in the chat function there, um, but they'll be sent out within about 48 hours in an email. Um, you'll be able to download them when you when you get that. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there is a, apart from the training courses and products and so on that we have available, there's also an ongoing series of webinars. This webinar itself we're repeating on a fortnightly basis for those who are new to GDPR. For those of you who are looking at specific issues, there's an ongoing series of, again, free webinars uh, running on a monthly basis. You can find information about those on our website. It deals with specific issues like accountability or uh, cloud processing and enables you to have a bit of an insight into what the issues uh, in and around those areas might be. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me thank you all for being on this webinar today. Um, I wish you luck in your GDPR compliance journey, and of course, if uh, we in uh, IT governance uh, in any of our businesses in the UK, the United States, or the European Union can help you in your compliance journey, please uh, call us, email us, or go on our website and uh, draw on our comprehensive set of resources. I wish you all a good evening. Bye-bye.